Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Hello and welcome to the Fish Nerds, a show about fish, fishing, and eating fish, or the show that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Clay Groves, Chief Executive Fish Nerd, Licensed Fishing Guide, and your best friend. So happy to be here. So happy that you're here. Usually we have a guest co-host. Today we do not. It's just little old me on the microphone, but have no fear. We've still got a show for you. Today on the show, it's our annual Fishing Pet Peeve Show. Uh, you call, we share. Let's talk about what you hate about other fishers and what they leave behind uh doc martin and fish guy josh are back with a new fish of the day segment i'm really excited about this one i'm not going to give it away but it's it's a good one and of course we have this week your fish nerds reviews we've got a lot of reviews on uh, apple podcasts lately and we're going to share them with you if you leave one for us we will do our best to share it out with you so really exciting uh but before all that before all that, I've got a story for you. Uh, this is actually kind of funny. Last week, I got a phone call. When I text, it was a text that I got um, through Google Voice, which can somehow, 607-378-FISH, I guess if you text me at that number, I will get it. And it was from a lady in New York who is an animal, what was she? Again, she was not an animal trainer. She was animal... Um, she was a representative of animals for the movie. So she was like a talent scout for animals. And she was looking for someone, looking for someone to help her wrangle sea lampreys. So somehow it like, it was like a Wednesday night and it was like 1030 at night. She texted me and she says, Hey Clay, I see that you're not afraid of sea lampreys. I am pretty much everybody else I know is, and we need someone to go to New York tomorrow for a, to a movie set to wrangle sea lampreys, please call or text me as soon as you get this. So I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. And first of all, not only am I intrigued, I also think it's some sort of prank because um, it's not every day you get a text at 1030 at night asking you to go someplace and, and wrangle sea lampreys. The whole thing just seems bananas. For those who don't know, for those not in the sea lamprey know, a sea lamprey is a, a really, really old fish. They're native to uh, coastal waters. Uh, and the sea lamprey we have up here, uh, Petromyza marina, a stone sucker of the sea, get huge. They get to about three and a half feet long. And they live in the ocean. They come to freshwater to spawn. After they spawn, they die. And their their babies live in freshwater for like seven to 14 years. They're called amacetes. And they, they spit this gabagoo out and they slurp up all kinds of little animals. That's what they eat for like seven years. Then they go to the ocean where they're parasitic. Then they come back to spawn. They also used to be very common food fish in New Hampshire, which is how I know it. And there's a picture of me going around the internet with a, a big sea lamprey stuck to my arm. And and not the little tiny wussy Jeremy Wade sea lampreys, but actually a really big, like three and a half foot sea lamprey stuck to my arm. Uh, anyway, so I had this, this fish on my arm. She found the picture. She thought I'd be the guy. So uh, 5 a.m. I wake up. I send her a text back. And I'm like, hey, listen, if you're for real, I'm totally interested in going to New York and, and, and wrangling some sea lampreys. And she texted back some details, you know, where the movie set was. as a Lake George. Uh, essentially, they're making a horror film uh, where sea lampreys are, the, are part of the villain. 
Um, and I'm not going to give away the name of the movie, um, but it, it's a B movie, and the the director have this has a science scene where there would be a big tank, a sea lamprey behind him, and my job was to put the lampreys in the tank. So we're texting back and forth. I say I can go to New York today, which was a Thursday morning now. Uh, you just got to pay me and pay for my uh, my time. And so she offered me $3,000 plus my travel. And I'm like, yes, for a day's work to handle sea lampreys on a movie set? You bet. So I, uh, I said, yeah, sure, I can totally do it. Uh, and then like an hour goes by, nothing. Two hours go by. Finally, 9 a.m. No, it was 8 a.m. Rolls around. And my phone rings. And it's her. And she's like this classic, like New Yorker, like New Yorker, that classic New York accent. And she's going through the whole thing with me about how she's been looking for sea lampreys, but she couldn't find any. So she has a tank of, of American eels. And I said, well, if you're looking for lampreys and you get eels, you're not going to get much further apart. I mean, just biologically speaking, they look very different. They're not going to stick to the glass and do the stuff you want lampreys to do. And they're eels. So it's much, much smaller. And she said, well, that's what I got. Uh, and then she says, I'll call you back. Calls back a little bit later. The director really wants sea lampreys. And I said, well, what are you going to do about it? She goes, well, I was hoping you maybe had some. And I went, really, you think I have sea lampreys? You think that a lamprey is a thing that one just has laying around their house? And she's like, well, there's a picture of you with a sea lamprey. I say, well, I, I ate that one. And she goes, well, do you know anybody who has a lamprey in a tank? And I said, well, there's a scientist at University of New Hampshire who studies them. We can call them. Maybe you can make a donation to the lamprey program. They can give you some. But let them know it's a one-way trip. If I drive a lamprey from New Hampshire to New York, it's likely not going to make it back alive. But maybe a big enough donation could, could do the trick for you. Uh, that didn't work out. That that professor no longer works for the college. And not to mention, there might be a thousand laws about transporting lampreys from New Hampshire to Lake George, uh, which is something we don't, <laughs> we didn't even get into. Uh, so then she starts. Well, who else do you know who has lampreys? And I said, Well, if you were, we're talking about May and June, we could get sea lampreys if we could find permits to travel with them. But it's not May and June. May and June is when they migrate to spawn. Right now, the lampreys that she wants are all out in the ocean. And she says, well, there's lampreys in the Great Lakes. And I said, but I don't, how am I going to get one of those? Plus, those are tiny little lampreys. They're not the same. They're, those are the invasive ones. And anyway, so we went back and forth for a long time. Uh, you know, 10 o'clock rolls around. We're still texting around and calling people. I call everyone I know. She starts calling every university she could think of. She finally found some lampreys around uh, I guess noon or one uh, at the University of Syracuse in New York. And uh, I think that's where it was. I, I forget. It was it was Cornell. And uh, she goes, I found some, but you got to get to Cornell and then get to uh, Lake George with the lamp race. And I said, well, let's do some math here. And I'm in the White Mountains, New Hampshire. Cornell University is, a le- is about nine hours away. And then from there to Lake George is three hours. So just, and we were filming at eight. I said, it's just not possible. I can't do it. And she said, well, who else do we know? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know anybody. She was really determined and really sure I could find sea lampreys. Anyway, it gets right to the end here. Never found the lampreys. I missed my shot at being in the movies as a lamprey handler. Uh, it was very sad. Um, I was really excited about it, too. Like, the idea of going and working on a horror film about sea lampreys. I was a little torn, too, because lampreys are always the villain. Lampreys are always the ones that we're looking at as, like, you know, the poster child for invasives in the Great Lake. But they're not invasive everywhere. And, and I, they're such a cool animal. But... You know, I thought maybe an opportunity to, to <laughs> just to go and do something really interesting and cool. So it didn't work out for us uh, at all. Um, and 
gosh, she was still texting me around 7.30 at night with filming in a half an hour. She hadn't given up. I have no idea what happened. I don't know if they ended up getting getting any lampreys at all. I recommended they CGI them or they wait till May to film that scene and come to, come to New Hampshire. We can get plenty of lampreys for them. Uh, but we shall see. But uh, since then, my phone has not been ringing off the hook for for jobs in Hollywood. Uh, I thought you know one job led to the next, but no no chance. But man, can you imagine getting paid $3,000 to handle sea lamprey? I sure can. <laughs> I was I was so stupid. This episode of the Fish Nerds is brought to you by Spreadem. Spreadem is a portable outrigger for trolling for fish. It's a one-of-a-kind adjustable assistant for hooking up multiple lines in your boat without the hassle of crossing lines. Everyone that's used uh, the prototype has loved it, and it's great for trolling for fish from a boat with your friends. Uh, but but we have uh, there's an actual video of this. You want to see it in action if you go to officialhooklinesinker.com. Uh, and and we this is actually really cool. This this we had this guest on a few weeks ago who was pitching these. He invented them, and he he has a fundraiser campaign going on to try and make some money off of this and get them to market. It's really good. Go go to gofummy.com, search for spread them, and throw a few bucks in the hat and help them. Uh, Michael get his product to market. Officialhooklinesinker.com. If you pre-order them now, you can save 150 bucks off of the retail cost of these things. And they just a great little outrigger that packs up into a little carry bag. looks like a pool cue bag, and you're good to go. So officialhooklinesinker.com. Now, also see videos of it in action, uh, see some good fish pictures, and throw a few bucks in the hat and help them get to market. This episode's also brought to you by you, our Patreon support Patreon supporters. Head to patreon.com slash fishnerds and toss a buck or two in the hat. If you give us 25 bucks, we'll mention your business on the show, like our friend Josh Lopes did at lopestax.com. Uh, and you can check it all out. If you also sign up, I'll also mention you on the show. So I have to mention, I've got to mention uh, our newest patrons, uh, Jazz Pipe uh, and H-Bomb. And Alan uh, Bryn, we are um, we thank you for coming on. We're a little bit behind on our thank yous. I have uh, ordered, and we have some packages coming out to all you guys. And there's a few people we owe stuff to. I had to order new swag uh, and hats and everything because in my shed, uh, where I stored everything in a nice cardboard box, stupid cardboard, uh, mice decided to move in and live in the fish nerds hats. So I've, I've ordered more more hats. They will be out soon, and uh, we will send them your way. Uh, so go to patreon.com slash fishnerds for more information on how to support our podcast. And we thank you so much. All right. How about some fish of the day? Interesting facts. Long Latin names. Fish are fantastic, but not all the same. How do they swim? How do they feed? Is that conservation affect you? Greetings, fellow fish nerds. It is Fish Guy Josh, and I am back once again with another rendition of Fish of the Day with our old pal, Doc Martin. Good morning, Doc Martin. 
Good morning, fish nerds and fish guy Josh. How are you today? I'm doing really great. A little busy. Uh, summer, summer is a very fishy time for me, uh, both at work and uh, for play. So I've been doing a lot of traveling, a lot of fishing, um, and just a lot of work in the lab this summer. Wow, that does sound very busy. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I did this summer was go to the NAMFA convention, the mm -hmm. annual convention. Um, this year was in northern Georgia. Uh, I had a great time. And actually, my wife, Mrs. Fish Guy, did the, um, <laughs> she did the painting of their mascot fish for this year's convention. Oh, that's awesome. And it awesome. sold really well in the auction. Yeah, it was really cool. The fish that they selected was the bluehead chub. Mm -hmm. So I know that I specifically said, pretty, pretty, please, can we do the bluehead chub to tie into NAMFA? And, and I think from my what response I hear, was, heck yeah, dude. <laughs> yes, that is exactly what I heard. So uh, let's dive right into some bluehead chub. What you got for me, Doc? Cool. So... Um I'm a big fan of the, the NANFA, the North American Native Fishers Association. I follow their Facebook page, mm -hmm. and they are like a bunch of nerds. It's fantastic. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, so the Bluehead oh, it, it Show. Was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a Cyprinoformi Cyprinidae. So we are in the minnow family here. Um, oh, yeah. The scientific name is Nicomus leptocephalus. So, um, interestingly, um, Nicomus was actually chosen uh, because the person that named this fish, uh, Gerard, in 1856, uh, liked the sound of it. It's a Native American word. And Nicomus is the name of a grandmother in traditional stories among the indigenous Ojibwe people of North America. I've never actually said that word out loud, so I don't know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> uh. um, so that's that's where that came from. It doesn't really have anything specifically to do with the fish Whoa. itself. It's just a word that the guy that liked. That's cool, though. <laughs> yeah. The grandmother fish. Yeah, the grandmother Whoa. fish. Okay. Um, but the lepto... Yeah, I'm seeing this Song of Hiawatha is in your notes here. It is, I, yes. I've heard of that before. The epic poem Whoa, from 1855. Cool. So there you go. Uh, a little history and literature. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Um, and then the specific epithet, so the leptocephalus. The leptos just means small or slender, and cephalus means head. We hear that one a lot. Um, and... Leptocephalus, so small head. Uh, it's actually in comparison to another specific species. So basically, Gerard was like, well, hey, Whoa. this bluehead chub has a little bit smaller head than the other one. So Nokomis leptocephalus sounds good to me. <laughs> now, I have a, a sidebar question of, of a, a Latin question, so I'm sure you'll be all over it. Uh oh. Um, okay. Put me on the spot. So if it's, <laughs> if it's small head, but mm -hmm. specifically referring to the comparison of another fish. Mm -hmm. Do we know that at a glance or is this just some, some funky footnote that has to be placed in a book or you'd never know? Right. So <laughs> that's a good question. Um, so this one is specifically um, my source for this, which 
I love this source. So the the ETY Fish Project, if you I know you have the word document, so you're looking at it. You scroll all the way down to my references. Yeah. Um the ETY Fish Project, I always share their name of the week, but it's a group of huge nerds that love etymology just like I do. And they actually go and they contact like people that have studied these species or um just people that know the people and descendants of people like Gerard or whoever. And they actually like travel all over the world and read documents and do all of this historical digging to find out exactly why this fish was named this particular thing. Wow. (laughs) So yeah. Fish name historians. Holy cow. That's exactly right. Really cool. It's so cool. And (laughs) so they have a really cool website and you can go, you can look them up. They also have a Facebook page, which obviously I follow. So yeah, this stuff actually came from them historically looking up all of these different sources to find that original source and where that original idea came from. <laughs> I have to, you know, I've, I've seen it at, on your notes page before, but I'll have to dig into that more. That is really cool <laughs> and yeah. super nerdy. And they're really, really nice. I actually, I sometimes I geek out and I read their Facebook page and I'll comment. And I'm like, this is the best thing you've ever done. And I say that like a lot. And they're like, thank you. We're just glad you support us. And they probably think I'm just a bananas fan over here, which is totally fine. <laughs> but yeah, so that's. Uh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. Um, there are three different subspecies of the bluehead chub. So they're all Nicomus leptocephalus, and then they have another name. So it's either Leptocephalus leptocephalus, or Leptocephalus interocularis, or Leptocephalus bellicus. So um, the other two with that are a little bit different. So uh, the Belicus or Belicus, I guess, however you want to say it, um, is kind of warlike. Um, so it's referring to the Black Warrior River in Alabama. So that's the type locality okay. where that subspecies was named. And the other one, the Interocularis. Um, so inter is between, ocular is referring to eyes, and it's referring to the location of the tubercles that are on the fish's head. We had a great, uh, speaker at the convention oddly enough oh. uh, that was talking all about tubercles which was awesome she had some like electron microscope scans which was fantastic oh that's so cool um oh yeah it was it was pretty nerdy it was really good and i'd i would love to hear a expanded uh doc martin on tubercles <laughs> oh on tubercles that- that's a good one <laughs> okay, so and so you mentioned this a little bit before, but you were in Georgia for the NANFA conference because and they chose yep. the bluehead chub because that's where they're from. Um, so obviously they are in Georgia at least somewhere, but they have a little bit bigger uh, habitat range than that. So they are in the Mississippi uh, drainage basin, uh, kind of northern Mississippi, West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, Alabama, um, and that kind of area. They get into a little bit of, uh, they've been introduced into the Little Tennessee River and the French Broad systems in North Carolina and Tennessee. So they're kind of in that Midwestern, maybe yeah. Appalachia-ish area. All right. Um, so these guys are freshwater. And they are demersal, and so that just means that they like to live near the bottom of the water. 
Um, they inhabit the rocky and sandy pools and runs of headwaters. So those kind of smaller streams, uh, creeks, and then small to medium rivers. So if you're heading out to that area, that's where you're going to find these little boogers. <laughs> cool. Okay. So, um, how big do they get? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, have you, oh, uh, are you, a, do you microfish? I know some people do. Um, I mean, not much. I mean, I'll use some pretty small hooks, but I, not, not the specialized equipment that I see some of the other guys out there have. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I know some people are really into that. Um, these guys, <laughs> um, you could microfish for some of the smaller ones, but they do get up to almost 11 inches in total length. Yeah, I, ca I caught a few um, during the trip. I did a little bit of creek fishing, just had a really small size rod with me. And uh, yeah, I definitely hooked into a couple of bluehead chub when we were cruising around, walking up some of the uh, streams there. Okay. Um, so their diet is mostly plant material, algae, and some aquatic insects. What worked for you to catch them? Uh, I dug around for worms along the bank and would just, you know, pull off a little piece and just a little chunk of worm seemed to do the trick. All right. There you go. Worms work for a lot of different fish, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an old standby. Yeah, I, I definitely caught a lot of other species on that exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're going to get into the, the big, cool stuff. So there's a lot of oh, neat things go. about the bluehead chub, <laughs> but one of the really yes. cool things that they do, this is what we've all been waiting for. Uh, I've um, been waiting for it. <laughs> I know what it is, and I've been waiting for it. It's so cool. So the one of the coolest things, and researchers get really excited about it, so a lot of where the literature lies for the bluehead chub is all about Clay's favorite subject, Fish sex. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, these guys, uh, the bluehead chub, are nest builders, which is super cool. Um, I just think fish that build nests, uh, especially these guys, are mounds of rocks and pebbles. It's just really neat. Dude, um, and they are some big rocks, too. Yeah, so they, I mean, these fish are, you know, what, almost a foot long. So think of all the different size rocks you could fit in a fish hey. mouth that belongs to yeah. a fish that size. <laughs> Sometimes I've, I've gotten some, I've snorkeled with them when they're doing this. And uh, I've gotten some video and a couple of buddies of mine have posted some fantastic photography of it. But some of these rocks, it's like watching when like a medium sized dog grabs like one of those extra large bones. <laughs> it's too big for and you. And tries to walk around with it. Yeah, it's. Dude, it's so amazing, the rocks that they move around and make into this gigantic nest. Yeah, and yeah, so they will move all these stones into this huge nest. Um, the spawning activity itself lasts about a day, but the nest building itself is a few days, so maybe two or three, give or take. And several males will actually participate in moving stones into one pile. So multiple mm -hmm. males will work on a single nest, which is pretty neat. Yeah, that's um, cool. And they carry stones just one at a time. And sometimes they will bring a stone from distances up to four meters away. Wow. So I feel like, you know, in a fish, like relative distance, that's that's quite a ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've definitely posted up on nests and you'd watch him and he'd swim out of sight and then he'd come back with a rock and he'd swim out of sight and come back. I'm just like, Jesus, <laughs> this guy's going nuts. 
I know. It's, uh, that's over, I think that's over 13 feet, I think, is four meters. So that's pretty good. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, sorry, I'm, I just like to read this again. <laughs> okay. Um, so in general, there is a little bit of kind of a size hierarchy. So the largest males in general are responsible for the majority of the nest construction activity. Um, but they aren't the sole construction workers of the nest. Yeah. But they're kind of like the boss. They're the overseers. Um and the average number of stones. Oh, I like this stat you put in here. That's cool. <laughs> I think I, I was so excited to read this. Okay, so the average number of stones, and I would never would have guessed this for one nest. <laughs> uh, I love how excitedly nerdy we're getting about this. Well, okay, so this is two or three days of work with like a handful of fish, right? Yeah. So. Two or three days building this nest, picking up stones. It's fourteen thousand five hundred stones on average. That's bananas. <laughs> that is a lot of rocks that move around in the water with your mouth. Yeah, mouth rocks. Oh my gosh! And some of them are big. Really big. That's so much work. Yeah, so that's just really cool. 14,500. And also, I like to picture, like, was it just one scientist out there just counting these stones <laughs> from these nests? <laughs> Bored to tears, like, you're an undergrad. We just hired you. You have to count the stones this time. <laughs> yeah. And that's on average, too. So, you know, there's a few nests that are, like, more mm. than that, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow. And who says science is boring? You can count rocks for days. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so as you hinted at, these yes. nests are important, obviously, for the bluehead chub. That's where they lay their eggs. So the females release the eggs and the males release the sperm, and then they get down into the rocks and they kind of bury them a little bit. Um, yeah. And that's thought that the way that they do that, they ha excavate a little pit on the nest and then they cover it up and the, they do that because they think that it helps to receive kind of constant circulation and clean water and so that way it helps the yeah. eggs stay healthy until you have little baby blue head jumps mm -hmm. but other fish use these nests yes they do 27 different species <laughs> use these nests that's awesome so they're yeah. building this for them but they're well, intentionally or unintentionally, building it for 27 other species of fish. And I see you have 27 minnow species reported. Yes. So there's also some, yeah, I have the 27 minnow species. So that's in your Cypriniformes, your Cyprinidae. Um, there are some associations with other things like your Centrarchidae, yeah. your sunfishes and things like that, right? Darters, a so, lot of darters on the Oh, nest. yeah. and uh, Yep. So that's and your crayfish. Your lots of crayfish. Yep. Well, that's, yeah, that's a whole, that's not even fish land anymore. <laughs> you're yeah. you're an arthropoda now. Like, <laughs> you know, you associate the larger predators that kind of cruise nearby the chub nest. It's mm -hmm. really amazing everything that utilizes what a lot of people kind of throw away as just like a nothing fish, you know, just some creek minnow, like whatever. So many other fish associate with these nests it's incredible i mean this it's what like the southeast freshwater snorkelers strive for is to like go find a chub nest or a chub mound somewhere 
because they want to get great footage of all these other fish. I mean, mm-hmm. you can even go even on my Fish Guy Josh YouTube page. Like I probably have at least a couple of videos that are nothing but you know footage of these mounds with all these different animals cruising around on them. You know, associating with them. It's really cool. Yeah, it's super pretty, uh, and I'm I'm sure a lot of our listeners have probably seen those photos. Maybe not. Maybe knew what they were. Maybe not. If you're one of the listeners that hasn't seen the photos of the bluehead chub nest spawning, you should really look it up. They're beautiful. There's so yeah. many different kinds of those those mostly little tiny fish that nobody wants to think about. Yep. But there's some really cool big fish too. If that's what you're into, there's no judgment here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's really beautiful. And the colors are just amazing when they're mm-hmm. on these mounds too. They just, everything goes from drab browns to just like, wow, I, is this a tropical mm-hmm. fish tank or something? Yeah, you get the reds, yellows, black stripes, blues, greens. You get the mm-hmm. whole menagerie of colors and yep. combinations. Absolutely. I could talk about spawning all day. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just have um, a couple uh, other random facts that I found that were really neat. Um, so one of them is we've talked about these bluehead chub uh, moving all the stones back and forth. So their jaw um, of the nest building males is actually covered with a layer of keratin, Whoa. which probably reduces the abrasion to the stone carrying. Whoa. So if you can feel I never that. Knew that. That is cool. Yeah. So next time you catch one, you should feel their jaws and see if you can find that layer of keratin which should be a little bit tougher in the males anyway really cool okay that is neat and then my last little super fun fact um the the bluehead chub nokomis leptocephalus was the very first species of freshwater fish to be scientifically described from north carolina huh what do you know there you go. So now, now from North Carolina. So other, fre- other freshwater fish were described that occur in North Carolina. Yeah. But those type species were actually like collected from a different state or whatever. So the bluehead mm-hmm. chub was collected. It's, uh, I think it's type species is actually from North Carolina and it was described in North Carolina. So the whole thing happened right there. Cool. Yeah, super neat. Very interesting. Yeah, these are really cool fish. Chubs are, in general, are really cool. The nest building aspect and all the shared congregation of like multiple fish species spawning. Really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. I would say that, um, yeah, if you haven't searched the internet for video or photos of that and you're a bored fish nerd sitting at your computer, you should go do that right now. Yes, right now. It's your homework. (laughs) Doc Martin gave you an assignment. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Well, very cool. That was a a nice fish of the day. I uh, I appreciate you, you know, doing the fish that I that I wanted to associate with Nampha there. So there's a plug for Nampha and uh, a great fish of the day today. Yeah, that was fun. I'm with you. I think the the chubs in general are a pretty cool group of fish. Another great session as usual. Very nerdy, very fishy. The two things we strive for here on Fish of the Day. The best two things there are. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Fish Guy Josh and Doc Martin. Appreciate all your <laughs> all your support. We always learn so much from you. Uh, next up, we have, uh, before we get to the next segment, actually, I want to talk about our Fish Nerds Book Club. Every couple of months, we do a book club called the Effin Book Club. And this is really cool. Next week on the show, we have Emily Voigt 
who uh, and this is part of the book club. She wrote the book, The Dragon Behind the Glass. We read it. We called her. Actually, she called me, and and we had her on the show. And so uh, this is really exciting, exciting stuff. Next week on the show, you're going to get a nice long interview with Emily Voigt, author of Dragon Behind the Glass. You should read the book now uh, and and be ready for that interview so you'll know it. I also have a copy I will be giving away on the next episode of the podcast. So stay tuned for that. Next up, it is time for a little thing we call Fishy Pet Peeves. Doc Martin put together, together a little parody of her pet peeves. We'll start with some of that. And then jump in, and then stay tuned to the very end of the show, after the final credits, and we'll announce the winner of the Fishing Pet Peeve contest, and that person will get a package, or several packages of glass water, lead-free lures sent to us from the crappy hippie himself. Uh, and he actually, it was his idea to do the segment, so uh, thanks thanks to the crappy hippie for that as well. So uh, stay tuned after the show for that uh, and enjoy your fishy pet peeves. Nonsense and bullshit and total indifference. Shunning the experts and pride and ignorance. Science denial, no faith in vaccines. These are a few of my biggest pet Hey, Clay, this is Kevin Kupsick in Omaha, Nebraska. My biggest fishing pet peeve is trash, especially beer cans and fishing line. Come on, guys, take your trash with you. Thanks, Clay. Hey, Clay, I saw the post on Twitter about wanting to get the pet peeves for people who are fishing, uh, my pet peeve for fishing. My name's David. I'm from Southern Maryland. And I hate it, hate it, hate it when I find things laying on the actual shoreline, like bait boxes or fishing line or old hooks or soft plastics. Come on, guys, we're better than this. Let's clean up after ourselves. That's my biggest pet peeve. I've put it on. I've put it on Twitter. I've put it in videos. Let's clean up after ourselves, guys. Thanks. Bye. I'm calling about your uh, Facebook Facebook post about my biggest pet peeve in uh, fishing, and my biggest pet peeve would be people leaving trash and their fishing line, and you definitely know they're anglers or people fishing anyway, leaving their trash um, at our lakes and uh, and streams. My name is Brian Clark, and I'm from Tamar. Yeah, this is Jeff, your effing librarian here in Overland Park, Kansas. I 
got a whole bunch of fishing pet peeves. Let's see, we got the backlash of the bait caster. Uh, we got the people who carry all their stuff down to the stream bank or river bank or lake bank to fish and then leave all their crap there. But the one that drives me absolutely the craziest is the people that are convinced that you're fishing the wrong way if you don't fish like they do. And this is most prevalent among fly fishermen. It's never fly fisher women. It's always fly fisher men who are very concerned that you're not fishing the way that they're fishing, and therefore you're fishing the wrong way, and they will let you know about it, specifically on social media. I have no time for these people, and I have left many fly fishing and fly tying groups because of this attitude. I think that if you are having fun and you're obeying the regulations and you respect the resource, no matter how you do it, you're fishing the right way. So that's my bottom line. Pet peeves, the people who are convinced that you are fishing the wrong way. Hey, fish nerds, how you doing? This is Mark from Detroit, Michigan. My pet peeve is when you're fishing on the bank and some guy in a boat comes in your little 50-foot diameter that you're able to fish off it. you got the whole lake, man. Uh. Hello, Fish Nerd Nation. This is Crappie Hippie with my fishing pet peeve. Oh, I got a lot of them, but I'll tell you right now, my number one is Jack John Bass. I see it on social media. I see it out when I'm fishing, and heck, even some of my friends do it. And what I'm talking about is when you take a bass or a crappie or any other fish with a mouth like that, grab it by the lower lip, and then just hold it up horizontally, letting all the weight of the fish hang on that bottom jaw. You need to bring up the other hand and support that fish horizontally, or if it's a small one, just hold it straight up and down. But do not jack jaw the bass. It hurts their jaw. You can break their jaw. It's an injury that lasts a lifetime, and it's life-threatening. Please don't jack jaw the bass. This is Crappie Hippie with my fishing pet peeve. Peace out. Spreads with the shit flames 
All right, Fish Nerds, Clay Groves checking in. I'm sitting in my car. I'm in the I'm in the parking lot of the Abenaki Grill Restaurant, heading into the Saco Valley Anglers Trout Unlimited Save Saco River fundraiser. I don't know what it's all about yet. I gave him 40 bucks and donated a fishing trip. We're going to go inside, talk to some anglers, and we're going to ask them what their biggest fishing pet peeve is. Okay, Fish Nerds, I'm here at the Abenaki Grill. I'm hanging out. Uh, with the president, <laughs> the president of Saco Valley Anglers. Give us your full name, title, website, and then give us the pitch. What is Saco Valley Anglers Trout Unlimited? So, hey Clay, thanks for thanks for spending time with us. My name is Randy Willett. I am the president of Saco Valley Anglers Trout Unlimited Chapter Two Ninety Nine. Uh, we're based in the Mount Washington Valley. Um, our contact information is super simple. It's just www.sacovalleytu.org or .com. You'll get to us either way. Links up at fishners.com, of course. Yep, absolutely. Um, we are one of the smallest chapters of Trout Limit in the state, but we're tiny but tough, as we like to say. Um, today, we are having one of our largest fundraisers of the year, um, which is specific to two uh, programs that we have enacted. One is the Janet Thompson Memorial Scholarship Fund. Every year, we issue a $1,000 scholarship to an outgoing uh, senior of Kennan High School who's going into uh, wildlife biology or possibly conservation work or law enforcement work. Um, the second aspect of tonight's event, the benefit of the event, is we're fundraising... We are fundraising for uh, wild brook trout restoration projects. Um, we have... Um, applied for a grant through the Embrace the Stream project through Trout Unlimited, and we need to come up with matching funds with the goal of doing some research into the wild and native brook trout populations in the Mount Washington Valley, protecting them and getting them to a point where they're not only self-sustaining, but also more recognized on a more regional basis. Wow, okay. You make it sound fun. Now, <laughs> so to simplify, so people can give you money. Yes. And how much money are you trying to raise? Today, we're, our goal is $5,000 um, for this evening, for this event. Um, we're pretty well on our way to that. We've already surpassed, uh, we're about $25,000, $3,000 in before even starting the auction, which is sweet. Um, so we're hoping to hit a $5,000 mark tonight. Fantastic. And people who are listening around the country, around the world, they want to give you money. You'll take their money? Yeah, they can They can hook up with us on our website. We have a PayPal account set up on our website. Um, they can log right on there, and they can even specify what the denomination is and whether they want to go, they want their donation to go specifically to the scholarship fund or towards our Wildbrook Trout Initiative. Yeah, and this is really great for people around the world uh, who just love native fishes and want to help native fishes anywhere they can. These small towns don't usually get the big funds from the feds, no, no, so don't. it's all locally raised, uh, and so we can we can worldwide raise a little bit of cash yeah, and help absolutely. out. Uh, I, I would say that the Mount Washington Valley is probably one of the least recognized sport fishing destinations in northern New England, unfortunately. We're working on it. Yeah, we're definitely working on it between fish nerds and Saco Valley anglers and a whole bunch of other groups in the area. Um, we're hoping to kind of not just make this a fishing destination, but make it an area where fishing is respected and not kind of treated... Um, I want to say unprofessionally, but a little bit more recognized as being an ethical practice sport. Okay, now, so I'm going to be walking around the room talking to different anglers. Sure. I'm asking them all the same question. Sure. I'm going to ask you the same question. Sure. What is your biggest fishing pet peeve? My biggest fishing pet peeve? Man, clean up your trash. I understand you want to go out on the rivers and lakes and streams and have a great time. 
care, you know, take it in, take it out with you. That's all. You know, be smart about what you do. If you know you're a practice and catch and release kind of guy, please do it. Do it ethically. If if you're if you're taking fish, know what your regulations are. We definitely, as a Trout Unlimited tra- chapter, recognize that there's folks that like that. We advocate catch and release at all times. You're making a big list of pet peeves. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's <laughs> lots of pet peeves, but I'll, let's just leave it to there. Take you know, carry in, carry out. Um, be kind to the fish. Respect the resource. Thank you. My name is Vinny. What's your biggest fishing pet peeve? Um, people killing fish for no reason because they think it helps the fishery. Bucket. My biggest pet peeve right there. It's mine also. It's yeah, jokes. Bucket biologists and people who think they know better than everything. And, and what's your job in the fishing industry? I'm a, I'm a licensed fishing guide in New Hampshire. And you work for the Fish Nerds? I work for the Fish Nerds. With the Fish Nerds. With. Okay, I'm sitting next to Travis Rocket. He's got fingers and a plate full of food. My name is Travis Rocket. I'm from uh, Interville, New Hampshire. Um, I'm part of New Hampshire Bass Guides. We're a guide service out of North Conway. And my biggest pet peeve is probably jet skiers and water skiers. Why? Because they make they make a lot of wake and they go they come close to your boat and they really sometimes some of them have just no common courtesy for others when they're on the lake. My biggest fishing pet peeve is I don't catch any when I fish. <laughs> uh, my name is Ellen Andriano. Um, I am a retired oncology nurse, and um, I just like being out. I'm really not concerned that I don't catch a fish, but that is my big pet peeve. I don't catch them. Hey, I'm Dave Sorty. I'm from Madison. My biggest pet peeve, I guess, would be uh, not enough fish. <laughs> Steve Bender I'm from Bluebell, Maine. My biggest pet peeve would be too many bass in our water now. Bastard bass guys. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bill Thompson. I live in uh, Freedom, New Hampshire. Uh, I fish all over the valley. I'm not really sure. I have a, a, a big pet peeve about fishing, but uh, there is one thing. I love the Saco, and uh, it just gets way overcrowded with canoes and little rubber duckies. <laughs> I love rubber duckies. Hi, I'm uh, Ron Mullady. I live in Center Conway, New Hampshire. Uh, my biggest pet peeves. Wow. Uh, changing regulations for their better uh, compared to what other states and regions have, uh, are interested in doing and have been successful, especially out west. So interested in that. Perfect. Thanks. Okay. Uh, my name's Ed, and I'm from North Conway. My biggest fishing pet peeve, let's see, people fishing with spinning gear at First Bridge right under the fly fishing only sign. <laughs> Guilty. Uh, Joe, North Conway Uh, Ed and I were Same day when we saw the guy Fishing right under the sign That's the biggest peeve You know, funny thing, like two weeks ago I took a a bass fishing trip out And some kids were on the boat And I said, have you guys fished before? Yeah, we were just fishing in North Conway Under the first bridge Catching trout on these spinning gear So probably the same guys Tom, North Conway uh, my biggest peeve would be when I'm in a spot and someone else comes along right next to me. Now, when we're ice fishing, I do I'm an ice fishing guy as well, and you catch a big fish, while you're unhooking the fish, um, we like to steal the hole from the angler who caught it. And, it. and the rule is, on the ice, if you yell the word Chicago, you can steal the hole because of high crime in Chicago. <laughs> I don't ice fish. <laughs> you're invited. You can come with me. Yeah. Carl File. From North Conway. What else? Biggest fishing pet peeve. I can't think of any. Uh, 
trying to get across a river without falling down. That is difficult. We've all been there. Waiters fill up with water. Uh, my name's Bill. I'm from Bridgeton. And my biggest pet peeve is when I let something bother me when I'm fishing. Wrecks the day. Bass fisherman. Oh, start at the beginning. <laughs> nope. So we just random anonymous person says bass fisherman. That's your biggest pet peeve? I don't like those guys either. Such jerks. What if they have a pontoon boat? That's even worse. The worst. Especially if they're catching trout off the pontoon boat. Oh, jeez. Can you imagine? Uh, Anna New Hampshire, right here. Rick. Uh, biggest pet peeve would be uh, fishermen that leave trash behind and don't respect private owners. Don't talk to them. They're all welcome. Most private owners welcome fishermen across the properties, but you should talk to them. Perfect. I think guys that are in fly fishing spots uh, with spin casting rods. What's your name? George Knight. Wolfboro. I'm Mark DeWolf from Wolfboro. And one of my biggest pet peeves is trash that people leave along the sides of the rivers in the water. That's, that's a very common pet peeve and reasonable to be pissed off about it, right? Yeah. Where do you usually fish? Um, I live down on Lake Winnipesaukee. I fish in that general area, but I try to get up here a few times a year. I've had a little trouble this year. I've got some medical stuff going on. so. And now you're here now inside, and it's beautiful outside, and you're inside. <laughs> I know, it is. Hi, my name is Mason Gorris, and uh, I live in the Mount Washington Valley. Um, I own and operate White Mountain Anglers, and uh, my biggest pet peeve with fly fishing is um, people who use indicators. You hate bobbers. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, it's uh, just a funny, exactly, strike indicators is just a funny name to me. Now, you didn't hear him say this on air, but off air, he did say that anyone who uses a bobber is an asshole. <laughs> uh, no comment, no comment. <laughs> Thank you, Macy. Uh, this is Steve, North Country Angler, North Conway, New Hampshire. And my pet fishing peeve is if you can buy a container of worms and carry it to the stream and use the worms, you can take the empty container and carry it back away from the stream. Now, fun fact, a lot of people don't know this. A lot of uh, anglers who don't, who don't leave trash behind don't know that... At, that, that, that worm containers get exponentially heavier as they empty. So, like, you're actually physically not capable of carrying them out once they're empty. Did, did you know this? I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, I see. Science. <laughs> All right. And, and my biggest fishing pet peeve is people complaining about how other people fish. That's my personal one. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, remember, stay tuned after the credits for the winner. Uh, next up, we've got your FN reviews. You can leave a review for the Fish Nerds on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overdrive, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. There's usually a little button for reviewing the show. We'd love to hear from you. It makes us feel good. We don't make a lot of money doing this, but you saying nice things about us always feels super great. So don't be afraid to do it. Also, uh, Facebook is a great place for reviews, too. You can review our podcast right on our Facebook page. Uh, but... Here are our reviews, most recent reviews from Apple Podcasts. Um, here's one. Good show, five stars. Five stars is nice. Uh, and this is from Locino1. 
And Lucino one says, always look forward to a new episode. Thank you, Lucino. Uh, Eddie Ravert says, Clay is the best. It's true. I am the best. Uh, I met Clay at a conference this week. He told me about the pod, and I can't stop binging. And this is coming from a non-fisher. Keep it up. Uh, Justin is handsome and bold, uh, says awesome, five stars, podcast is fantastic, even if Clay's dad only gives four out of five. True story, my dad only gives four stars. Uh, let's see, Lord Jeffrey, Lord Jeffrey, I think from Texas, fantastic, fishy, fun for real, and fart. Farts are always funny. If you love fishing and you are nerdy about it, then you'll love this. I fish bass, crappy, and catfish in Texas. Most of the time, I have no idea what these northerns are talking about, but they make it interesting and fun. Love fish in the news. I love fish in the news too. I'm kind of crushing on Doc Martin. Everyone is. So more of her, please keep up the great work. Well, thank you, uh, Lord Jeffrey. All right. So that's it. You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. Theme music today on the show is by Wally Pleasant. Thank you, Wally, for making our new theme song for us. Uh, special thanks to Doc Martin, Fish Guy Josh, and the Crappy Hippie. Uh, and, of course, thank you to all the listeners who called in with, with their fishy pet peeve. Uh, again, stay tuned for a few seconds. Uh, you'll hear the winner of the Fishing Pet Peeve contest. Once you hear that, send an email to clay at fishners.com, and I'll send your prize package right out. Big thank you to our families for supporting us while we podcast. Go on Fishing Quest and do all the su- silly things that nerds do. Until next time, follow the code of the fish nerd. Spawn early. Spawn early. Often, never trust a free lunch with strings attached and swim against the current every chance you get. Whether you're fly fishing in a stream, getting those ankles wet, or deep in the ocean casting nets, fish nerds, fish nerds, fish nerds, it's a podcast. Just for the halibut! Fry it in a basket or broiled in a pan. Eat it raw like you're in Siam. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. Fish nerds. It's a podcast. Okay, the winner of the Fishing Pet Peeves contest is Kevin from Omaha. Kevin, email clay at fishnerds.com and I will... Get back to you, get your address, and send you your swag and your and your lures. Thank you. And congratulations. Nonsense and bullshit and total indifference. Shunning the experts and pride and ignorance. Science denial, no faith in vaccines. These are a few of my biggest pet peeves. Share shit, color theories without even reading. Errors in numbers, purposefully misleading. Too lazy to think, just confirm biases. Sheeple used in a 
Oh, no.